And we're going to talk about something uh, today that we have a problem with uh, and will have a problem with until we get to go home and be with Jesus. And I'm not talking about that person sitting beside of you. Uh, or the person in front of you or on the other side of the church. Um, what I'm talking about is sin and temptation. And I think uh, sometimes we feel like we have a pretty good grasp and understanding of that, and we feel like we kind of got everything under control. And then sometimes when you least expect it, an opportunity arises. And we know we shouldn't take advantage of it, but we do. And, and making the choice to sin and do what we know we shouldn't has so many repercussions and it affects so many different things and while it cannot affect your salvation because that is a done deal and it's been taken care of uh, it can be it can be devastating and it can cause problems uh, in your relationships and and how you feel about yourself and the relationship that you feel like you have with God and so sin is going to be our, our problem and the world's problem until, until Jesus comes back. And so we need to be prepared and we need to have an understanding of our standing and what we have, what we've always had since we gave our lives to Christ and since the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. We are so quick to say things like, I can't help myself, or I couldn't help myself, I couldn't do anything but what I did, and I just don't have the strength, and I'm just not able to not do these things, and we, we are so quick to, to, to default to that. When we, as Christians and as believers, and hear me when I say this, our new default setting is freedom. And we have freedom to not sin, and not make the bad choices that we make. And we talk about freedom and how important freedom is in one way or another in this area of our lives or that area of our lives. But one of the most important freedoms that you and I have is that we are free from the power of sin. And we need to start living that way because the enemy will tempt us and he will use when we do sin to work against us to cause even more problems. And I think you probably know what I'm talking about. You thought, I'll just do this, and I'll, I'll be the only one that knows. And it'll only affect me. And then years down the road, you realize that it reached out and, and made a big old mess of a lot of things in a lot of people's lives. And while you're not responsible for what other people do, you are responsible for what you do, and it can affect people. And I've had conversations with people just this week uh, about, you know, wishing that they had spent more time witnessing to people that they knew and talking about things, but they were just, they felt like they were weak or they just didn't want to ruffle the feathers and, and, and all of this. And what we have to realize is that anything we say or anything we do in the name of Jesus Christ, when other people see that, that's also part of planting seed and watering seed because they see in your life something different. And even though you're not always speaking or talking the way that you live your life, which they tell us is a bigger deal than what we say sometimes, the way you're living your life and showing your faith 
is making an impact on the people around you. Now, I say, I'm not saying that so that you don't ever have to give your testimony or witness to people. We still need to do that. But we are so hard on ourselves. And when we do make mistakes, we need to own up to them and realize that, you know, that's something I don't need to do again. But I think what we get from the Bible is help. Uh, this is such a, a big help to us uh, as believers. This is, our, this is our understanding of how to live life. And the verse that we're going to read this morning is so important when we're talking about sin and we're talking about temptation. So let's go ahead and read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Let me say right here, let me say right here, that we're all tempted, we all make bad choices, and we need to understand that before we go any further. Okay. And then it says, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Now here is where I have to take effect with what I say sometimes, I couldn't help myself. Because it says right here that my God is faithful, who will not suffer me to be tempted above what I am able. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I can help myself, because I can make a better choice. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So right there is so as important instruction for all of us. You know, I'm going to be tempted, just like any other man and any other woman in this world. But with that temptation, God is going to provide for me a way out because my God is faithful. And so right there it is. And we have to concentrate on this. We have to hide this in our heart. We have to read this. We have to understand plain and simple what this says. I'm going to be tempted, but God's going to provide a way for me to get out of that. And if I stopped right here and we, we thought about that for, for the rest of this week and, and studied on that, it would help us to make better choices this week. But I've got some other things I want to say about that and some other scripture that will help us too because a scripture is good for instruction and correction and doctrine, and we're going we're gonna to get some more of that. So keep that in mind. Keep those thoughts in mind. I'm going to be tempted, but with that temptation, God will provide a way for me to get out. Sometimes it's as simple as closing our eyes. Sometimes it's as simple as turning something off. Sometimes it's as simple as deciding to go down the road a different way in our vehicle. Uh, sometimes it's as easy as choosing not to have a conversation with an, with an individual. But there is a way out. There is a way out. Now, I got a story I want to share with you. It's about a father. And he, was, he loved fresh fruit. And the really cool thing is that his next-door neighbor had an apple orchard. And what he liked to do is when, you know, nobody was around, he would like to climb over the fence, and he would go to the, to the apple orchard, and he would pick the best pieces of, of fruit, the best apples, and he would eat them. He would take them back home, and he would eat them. Now, we all know what that is. That's stealing for, that's stealing, and stealing is wrong. Stealing is a sin. We know that from the Word of God. But one day, the, the man's little son tagged along with him. 
And so they go to the fence, and the dad looks all around, makes sure nobody's looking. And he jumps over the fence, and just as he's about ready to pick this great big juicy apple, his son says to him, Dad, Dad, you forgot to look up. You forgot to see if God was watching. And God is always watching, isn't he? God always knows. And that's why, that's why he told us what he told us in that verse that we just read. I will always provide a way out for you. But that temptation to do wrong is everywhere, church. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's in here. Uh, it will be outside when you go out there. It'll be at home when you get there. It'll be at, at the job. It'll be at school. It'll be everywhere. Temptation is everywhere. We can't get away from it. And the biggest problem about temptation is that temptation leads to sin. And we know that God hates sin. We also remember that it was my sin and yours that, that was the reason that he had to go to the cross and lay down his life and shed his blood for us. That verse in 1 Corinthians said, though, that when you're tempted, when you are tempted, when I'm tempted, he's going to show me a way out of that. And that is good news this morning for everybody. So that's the question right there. How do we get victory over temptation? And how do we get victory over sin? How is it achieved? How do we do that in a practical way? And to try to understand that, we're going to answer three very basic questions. What is temptation? What is sin? And how do we get victory over those two things? couldn't make it any simpler than that this morning. I thought that's all we needed to do. So let's talk about this temptation thing first. Let's go into that a little bit deeper. I, I read a story about um, a youth group and uh, some youth leaders that were going on a retreat. And they got to the campground uh, where they were going to have their weekend retreat. And they noticed in the lodge, the main lodge, that there was a bulletin board. And on that bulletin board, there was a sign. And it said, there are no problems, only opportunities. There are no problems, only opportunities. And so it wasn't long before one of the teenage boys came up to them and he said, I've got a problem. And they pointed to the sign and they said, hey, no problems, only opportunities. And he said, well, you look at it the way you want to, but there's a girl in my room. So is that an opportunity <laughs> or is that a problem? Very good. Yes. Learning at a young age. Learning at a young age. I love it. You know, somebody once said, you know, opportunity, the difference between opportunity and temptation, opportunity knocks, but temptation kicks the door down. And we are tempted. Once again, we're all tempted. And it is the surest way to sin. Temptation is the surest way to sin. It's the pathway. It's the opening to sin, and that's where we don't want to go. But where does temptation come from? I've got two uh, scripture passages I want to share with you this morning. The first one comes from James chapter 1, and um, I'm probably just going to read verse number 14 here. Um, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Which, and which leads to death. In other words, what it's saying there is that, that our temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. That's where temptation can come from. Now, ultimately, temptation comes from our enemy. 
Uh, temptation comes from Satan, and, and I think we would all agree with that. But what this verse tells us is that we can also cause problems, too, with our own selfish wants, creating uh, desires that we should not have. And we'll talk about the underlying factor here in just a minute and why we feel that way. But it also says it talks about death here. And when we hear about death, we, we stop what we're doing and we lift, look up and we pay attention. Because death is, is an important subject for everybody. Uh, I was part of a funeral yesterday. And, and people, I tell you what, when people come to a funeral, uh, you can sometimes see just on the faces people who are okay with everything and there's not going to be any problems and we're here to remember this precious soul and we're going to see this person again. Or they're like a deer caught in headlights. And they're scared because they're coming, they're coming to the point where they have to think about their own mortality. What's going to happen when I die? And so this death, what's the death that, that it's talking about here? Um, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, uh, which leads to death. I think there's a couple of, of kinds of death we want to talk about here. The first one is the most obvious one. It's the, the ultimate death. A spiritual death, a death of eternal separation from God because we have made a decision in our lives to reject Christ. And so our sin, our sin, which Christ went to the cross to pay for, we haven't accepted that he has made payment for our sin, so we have to pay for our own sin, which leads us to death and hell. That's what Scripture tells us. So there's that, that death, of course, but I think there's also a different kind of an isolation, and that's kind of an immediate death that can take place that causes us to feel differently in our relationships. It's not like it, there's a de it kills our relationships, but it affects them in a certain way. And it affects several different people when we sin. Because when we give in, not only is it going to affect ourselves because there's going to be guilt, there's going to be shame, there's going to be... You know, we're, we're upset with ourselves and what we've done. And in moments like that, we begin to forget everything that God said about us. And we begin to go to that default of I'm no good, I'm worthless, I can't do anything right. Why would anybody have anything to do with me? And I forget that I'm, I'm his chosen, I, I, I am his child, uh, I'm the fragrance of Christ to him. I forget the things that God says, and I begin to remember all the things that, that I used to feel and used to think and what the enemy wants me to think about myself. But not only does it affect me, it affects the relationships that I have with other people. If I have sinned against someone, if we had a good relationship before, it's not any good now. If, if, I, had, uh, if I have done something within my family, and my family saw me do it or they, they, they heard about it, uh, it's going to affect how we relate to one another. You know, as a pastor, I can see how my son would look at me and say, Dad, you're a pastor. How can you say that? How can you think that? How can you do that? And then just know it's, it's just a bad situation all the way around. But it also affects the relationship that we have with God. And not that God changes his mind and not that God is upset with us or disappointed with us or he's ready to give up on us. It's not that. It's just that I don't feel 
all the things that I know that are true. And I feel like I've disappointed. I feel like I've let you down. I feel like I can't really talk to you right now because I've made such a mess of things. I feel like I need to be punished and I need to be separate from you for a while because surely you don't want to look at me. I'm disgusting. And so it affects us, all of our relationships, when we sin. And you begin to think back and you think, was it worth it for me to feel this way, for me to experience all these things? How do you think that father felt in that story at the beginning when he heard his little boy's question? Dad, you forgot to look up to see if God was watching. I hope that it made him think twice about ever crossing that fence again. And maybe he would give up apples for good. Because I know another situation where somebody took some fruit off a tree and it messed everything up, right? That's right. Adam and Eve. So I wonder how he, he felt when that little boy asked him that question. And, and how did it affect his relationship with his son? I was doing some uh, studying this week, and I saw a video of a father, and he was talking to his son, and he said, now, son, we're going to go to the movies, and here's what we're going to do. Everything at the movies costs too much money, so what we're going to do is we're going to go to the store beforehand, and we're going to buy some cheaper snacks, and we're going to stick them in our coats and stuff and, and go inside and, and save a little bit of money. And, you know, the little kid, okay, now, right now, is there, what's everybody thinking right now? So the little kid looks at him like, what? And so it, it was played off for fun, but the father stuck a drink down his shirt, his son's shirt, and the, the little boy looked like he was, he was going to get caught any second. He was scared to death, and he was trying to hold it in, and he was looking around. And do you see, do you see even in that illustration, how the bad choices that we make affect other people? Uh, our children, our loved ones, the people that we're trying to, to witness to. And I think, too, about the story of the prodigal son. And when we think about how sin affects relationships, we certainly see it in that story because we had the son who decided to strike out on his own and live the good life, so to speak, which was a bad choice for him. And it affected all of his relationships, didn't it? It affected the relationship that he had with himself because at the end of all that, he felt like he wasn't even worth, to eat the, worth eating the slop that the, that the pigs ate at his father's farm. He, he felt disgusting. He was worthless, he felt, to himself. And it certainly affected the relationship that he had with his father. Even though the father was willing to take him back at any moment and was willing to say, come on in, you're always welcome, which is what our father does. He felt like he couldn't approach his father because he had let him down. And then, of course, it also affected the relationship that he had with his brother. His brother was not happy with this. His brother was upset. His brother was jealous of what he had done. And so temptation has its consequences, most definitely. Another verse of Scripture I want to share with you is 1 John chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read verse number 16. And it talks about how different avenues of temptation lead to sin. Uh, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So what we see there is that the world offers the lust for for physical pleasure. Uh, It offers the lust for everything that we see, and it offers pride in our possessions. 
let's break that down just a little bit if we can. Let's talk about first the lust for physical pleasure. Now, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about this, the lust for physical pleasure? Obviously, the first thing that we may think about is sex. And we have to understand that that was God's idea. It was God's idea. But the problem is that we don't have to go very far and see the availability of all kinds of inappropriate sexual behavior that was not God's idea. We don't have to go very far to look around and see that things that are clearly against what God was very, very clear about himself and that sex is something that should be experienced within the confines of a marriage relationship. And whether we want to hear that or whether we want to believe that or not, that's the way it is. And that's the way it should be. But the world has distorted that in a big way, in a major way. So that's one avenue of temptation right there. The next thing that we talk about is the lust for everything that we see. Everything that we see, we must have it. And what this is, is materialism. Materialism. I, I see it, I want it, I got to have it. And it, it's, it goes to the very core of our whole society, doesn't it? I think, you know, our economy is based on materialism because what happens when people stop buying things? The economy is going to start slowing down. And so people can lose their jobs and factories can close, but so we've got to keep buying. We've got to get people to keep buying stuff. And so our advertising is such that we're not trying to tell you what you need. We're trying to show you what you want and make you feel like if you want something, then you just need to go out and you need to buy it. And how many of you have ever had the situation in your life, I know I have, where you saw something and you thought about it all day? Wow, I could really use that. I really want that. What can I do to get that? How can we work it so that we can have that? And then, you know, you want to start talking to, hey, Sandy, don't you think we need this? And you want Sandy to start wanting it too and, and everybody else in the family. And before long, everybody's like, yeah, let's get it. And so it's, it's wanting everything that we see. And there's a problem with that because we become obsessed with having everything. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not how we're supposed to live. That's not how you and I are supposed to be. Uh, when he said, you cannot serve God and money, he was trying to help us understand we don't need to have it all. And truthfully, if we have Jesus, we do have it all. We've got all that we need, all that we need for righteous living. So there's two avenues. The third avenue that, that this scripture talks about is having pride and pride in our possessions. And I would even add to that pride in our accomplishments. Pride in our possessions, pride in our accomplishments. Now, I'm not talking about having an appropriate pleasure or an appropriate satisfaction for these things because there is an appropriate way to do this. But there's also an inappropriate way, and that is when we become obsessed with possessions and when we become obsessed with status and our accomplishments. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 19, we see, we see a story that helps us to understand this. 
And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Make thine, make thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And oh, how many times through the years we've heard that phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. And somehow or other through our culture, that has become an acceptable and an okay mantra for us to say. Uh, a, a, something to live by. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? And that really puts things into perspective. Because what he's telling us here is that it is not wise to store up earthly treasures as this man was doing. But it's better to have a rich relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. But what about pride in our accomplishments? And we believe, and we've said many times before, that God has given all of us different talents, different abil abilities to use for his glory to help us to have a meaningful life here on this earth. But sometimes even these abilities and these talents that God has given us, we begin to worship these things. And it can become idolatrous and we get to the point where we're almost like this man and we say look at what I have done look at how great I am at this I'm the best at this look at what I can do and it's almost like you're wanting people to bow down and worship you because of your abilities and your talents that God has given you that are supposed to be used to serve him and do you see how the enemy comes in and tries to twist and distort everything well, God has given you the ability to do this. Go ahead and do it and use it to the fullest and eat, drink, and be merry while you're doing it. And it all sounds so good. And whispers of standing underneath a tree in the Garden of Eden and listen to a serpent talk to Eve. Ye shall not surely die. He's so good and so deceptive at what he's doing that sometimes we don't even realize what's happening. And it's hard. And when we get to a point where all we want to say is look at what I have done then what that is doing is that's putting our talents and our abilities on the throne of our heart and there's no room for God there after that that's what this verse is trying to tell us that's temptation let's talk about sin for just a few minutes um, can anybody tell me what you have to do to obtain forgiveness How, what you have to do to obtain forgiveness of sin? You have to sin. <laughs> you ask for it. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. But I think sometimes we feel like it's God's job uh, to pay for our sins, and it's our job to sin. You know, it's, it, we're, it's our job to do that. So God will have something to do, right? You know, let's keep, let's keep God busy here. Uh, that's not the way we need to look at things. I like what you said. What do you got to do to receive forgiveness? Ask for it. That's, that's exactly what we do. Um, but what is sin? Sin is something we can see. Sin is something we can taste. 
We can describe it. We can experience it. But how do you define it? What's your definition of sin? I think everybody probably has one. If you look it up in the dictionary, there's a very long definition. And it has words like character and action and attitudes and conduct. But for, the, for, our, for our purposes this morning, let's call sin attitudes and actions which lead someone away from God or off the path that God wants us to be on. Attitudes and actions. Attitudes and actions. So it can even happen up here without anything, you know, moving through it. I can think, I can have an attitude that is sinful. And sin is the reason why we're, our world is in the shape that it's in. Um, and it's because the, the attitudes and the actions of, of our hearts and of our lives are saying these words right here. Me first. Me first. We're all about that. Me first. What I want, the way that I want things. And that thinking, that way of thinking has been so destructive since the beginning of human existence. And we're still struggling with it. And we still have a problem with it. That me first attitude. Um, you think about anger and resentment and hatred and jealousy and judgmentalism. It's contributed to so many wars down through the years between countries. And, and it's resulted in so many problems between families and, and individuals. And you go all the way back to Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 3, when the first humans decided that they wanted to be like God. And so they went against what God wanted for them. Um, they performed an action that, that took them away from where they needed to be. They had an attitude that took them down a wrong road because they wanted to be like God. And sin is basically a self-centered attitude. It's, sin is saying, I want to be God. Now think about this. No, sin is me wanting to do this, and sin is wanting me to do that. But God has said not to do that. And so God, if God says not to do it, we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't want to do it. But I want to do it. So if I'm going against what God said, then I, it's me that wants to be God. It's me that wants to make the decisions. Do you understand that? Even as Christians, we have this attitude. We want to be God. We want to be the one to make the decisions. We want to be the center of the universe. And this is an attitude that God is not pleased with in any way, shape, or form. And it is an attitude that has caused problems all throughout our history because God hates this attitude and he hates sin. And I want you to think about back when Jesus was, right before he was crucified, and while he was being crucified, have you ever thought to stop to consider that the anger, the anger of the crowd, even at Jesus' trial, was whipped up by a group of people who did not want the Son of God to be God because they wanted to be God. That was the whole problem behind it all. John 12, 19 says this. Talks about the Pharisees and what they said to each other. Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. What are, what are they saying there? They're basically saying, well, we've lost. 
look at the world. They're going after him. They don't want to hear what we have to say. They're going after him. We don't like that. Let's put a stop to this. And we know what happened. They didn't give up. The Pharisees didn't give up. And what they did is they found a traitor. And in their sinfulness and in their pride and their selfishness and their anger, they crucified Jesus Christ. And sin reared up its ugly head, but sin lost that day, my friend. And the beauty of all of this is that all this was already in God's plan for this to happen. So one way to think about it is they thought they were orchestrating the end of this man who called himself God. But what was happening is they were actually putting him in a position to show the world at that time and the world all through the ages that he really was God. Because not only did he die, he rose again. And there's overwhelming evidence to prove that fact right there. So that's the attitude, church. That's the attitude that we have. And we're, we're going to battle sin. There's Bottom line, we're going to do battle with sin till, till the end of time. It's going to be an issue for us as long as we live. And we will never live perfectly sinless lives. So, so what, do you, what, what do you say about that? Do we just give up? I mean, it's impossible to be perfect, so we just give up. Some people have said, well, the grace of God is, is enough to take care of all sin, so let's just live. And let's just sin so that grace may abound all the more. But that's not right either. Because we see the devastating effects of sin, even the sin that a Christian commits, and how it affects relationships, and how it affects situations. But here's what we have to realize. We don't throw up our hands, and we don't give up. We realize we can have victory over temptation, and we can have victory over sin as well. Because God did not die on the cross. And God did not save your soul to live a defeated life. I wonder if anybody here feels like you're living a defeated life. You can come to church and get riled up with the music and the atmosphere and the scripture. But when it boils down to it, you just feel like you're living defeated. Because you can't stop this, or you keep doing that, or you keep feeling this, or thinking that. And you just feel defeated, and almost like, what's the point? Or what's the use? I'm going to give you some more scripture here. Because scripture always has the answers for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only... But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now what, what is he saying here? I want to give you a, another translation here. Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear so what we're saying here is what we've said many times in the past we work out what God has worked in 
we work out what God has put in us. And that's how we can experience increasing victory over temptation and over sin. Obey God. Practice what we have experienced. Understand what God wants from us and understand that what he has asked of us is entirely possible because he will give us what we need to carry that very thing out. And if you question it, go back to the verse we started with. When the temptation comes, I will give you a way out. When you are weak, I will be strong. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. If you put all of that together, I don't know. That's ironclad. I mean, I don't know. You can bust through iron maybe, but it is impenetrable. It is powerful, and you have that, and I have that, and we need to remember that. And what happens is when I see temptation and I give in to temptation and I sin, I am not working out what he has worked in to me. I am not remembering what he has said to me. You know, there are so many benefits of being his child. We get to read the word and understand the word and, and know what it means with the help of the Holy Spirit. We get to talk to other people about Jesus and what he's done for us. We get to worship together, and all those things are good. But the greatest benefit that you and I have is that he is in me, and he is in you. Don't ever forget that. He doesn't, he doesn't ever step out either. I'm, I'm, I got something to do. I'll be right back. Nope, never happens. Uh, I can't stand it here. It stinks of sin. If you're going to go, I'm going to stay outside. No, he's here with us I will never leave you I will never forsake you how can we say that we believe that and then think that well God can't be there when you sin because because he can't he can't look at sin he can't stand sin how do you reconcile that I'm gonna go with what the Word of God says he will never leave me and he will never forsake me that's the greatest benefit and he said I will give you everything that you need for righteous living perfect living no righteous living that means that when I see something over there that I know is going to lead to sin that I turn and look the other way that I turn and walk the other way that I go in reverse back up put it in drive and drive somewhere else it means that I remember who I am and that I am dead to that. According to Romans chapter 6, I don't have to do that anymore. Now, for some, it gets a little bit more complicated because there are things like addictions and there are medical issues and things that, that happen in a person's life and there are different kinds of bondages there. But certainly God has given Christian counselors, pastors, Christian friends, medications, things that can help us. Let me say again, with the temptation, I will, I will give you a way out. God will give us a way out. Bottom line, I need to remember that and you need to remember that so that he can live and work through us even when temptation comes. And temptation is hard, people. You know it is. I'm not asking you to... to, to 
to think about sin right now, but you know in your life there are things that you don't want to do that you find yourself doing. And let me tell you, you don't have to do that. Say goodbye. Say goodbye to, the, to, to giving in to that and say hello to who God says you are and what God can do in your life. And press towards the mark, press towards the goal. And remember, he will provide for me a way out. I think everybody needs to hear that this morning. And what we can experience is increasing victory over sin and temptation. And it's hard because sin is very attractive. Sin is very attractive. But scripture is very clear. We've got to resist the devil. And we've got to cling to what is good. Reject what is evil. And trust God. If you got some confusion about what's right and what's wrong, pray about it. Talk to somebody about it. Is it wrong if I do this? Is it wrong if I do that? Because even right now, our culture is taking things that we have known to be wrong and known to be sin and parading it in front of us and saying that it's okay. Who are you to say that it's not okay? <laughs> I'm nobody. But God said, no. And God is somebody. And God's word has the last word. I love you, but I can't participate in this. I love you, but this is not of God. And I'm only telling you that because I do love you. Well, you're so full of hate. How, how can you even call yourself a Christian? Well, I call myself a Christian because that's what God calls me. Because he saved me. And he, he helps me understand right from wrong because I'm willing to trust him because I want to get rid of this I want to be God attitude which is exactly what everybody has that's trying to shove down your throat and mine things that are wrong. They want to be God. And there are hard decisions that you and I and the church will have to make in the future. And, but we have to always stick by what God says. Always. Because that's going to bring the best result and bring the most glory to Him, and He's worthy of that. And it will not be easy. And we may lose friends. And we may ostracize family members. But I, I'm, I'm getting whispers in my mind of where God said, you got to love me more than you love your mom. you got to love me more than you love your dad. And you got to love me more than your family. I'm the one who gave them to you. I'm the one that put you guys together as a family. And I want you and them to know the truth and live the truth and live an abundant life. Because when you give in to temptation and it leads to sin, that is not the abundant life. So temptation is our direct link to sin. It is our direct link to choose to sin. And I want to finish with that. We choose to sin. Bottom line. We can devil made me do it all day long. But we made the choice. We decided to do it. We gave in. And call it a moment of weakness if you want to, but it could have been a moment of victory because you were thinking about and working out what God had worked in. Just because you're tempted, just because you face temptation, that's not a sin. 
my friend. It's not. That's just the enemy trying to get you to do something that you know you don't want to do and you know you shouldn't do. But God will always show us a way out so that we can choose to make the right decision and make the right choice. I want to finish with a few thoughts here before we pray. And I want you to hear these because these are so important for all of us um, to understand. I don't think we really rely on these truths as much as we should. And we don't remember them and we don't study them out like we should. Just listen to these. God has fixed, God has freed us from sin through our death to sin. We are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. And that freedom that we have is very real. And that freedom that we have is available to us every moment. The freedom to say, no, I'm not doing that. God does not want me to do that. I'm not going to do that. Someone once said, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not going to do that. You and I have got to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God every day. God, I am a, I am a new creation, and I am dead to that way of living, and I am alive in Christ and ready to live for you. We've got to remember that every day. And you can bet you that you're going to be tempted. and may be tempted hard, but you've got to remember that truth. And I have to remember that truth right there. And I've got to trust him. And I'll tell you what, as I'm walking in step, as I'm walking in step with the spirit-led inspiration and instruction that is coming from my new heart that he put inside of me, then I will not carry out old fleshly ways of thinking and acting. You know, here's, here's a reality for, for me and I think everybody else, that there are things that I do now that I used to do before I was saved, and I got saved when I was nine years old. And there are old fleshly ways of thinking and acting that I still bring to the table today. Uh, I can be very selfish. Uh, I, can be very, I can be hateful. I can be spiteful. I can be bitter. Uh, I can do all of these things. Uh, you know, or I can choose not to. I can choose not to because he will provide a way out through the truths that, that I'm sharing with you right now. Because it is my destiny and it is your destiny to walk in a new way. To walk a new way. I've been saved since I was nine, but I'm walking in a new way. Because I used to be this way, but I am now this way. I will forever be this way. I am brand new. And he is in me. He is in me. Um... Since we have died to sin and we are freed from the grip of sin, we have a free choice and we don't have to sin. Realize that and remember that. We are free from sin. We're free from the grip of sin so we can make a free choice not to sin. And then finally, real victory over sin comes through knowing and remembering that we are 100%, 100% dead to sin's power right now. So when temptation comes, and it will, you remember you are 100% dead to that, and you don't have to do it. Because if you do, it will have repercussions, 
It will affect relationships. And it will not please God. And I'm going to tell you right now, with everything that he's done for me, he's showing me more and more and building up within me a desire to please him more than ever. The more I think about what he has freed me from and taken from me. I want you to stand, if you will, and bow your head.